Thanks, Robin, and good morning. Uh, two Bible readings this morning. Our first one is Genesis chapter 3, and that's uh, verses 1 to 19, and that can be found on page 5 of your Bibles. So Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make pains in your childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Okay, our second reading, if we turn to page 1751, and this one is Romans chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 12 through to 21. So Romans 5, 12 through to 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, 
Sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many die by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will the will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act results in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought in that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks, Simon. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Happy uh, Labor Day for tomorrow. Is it Labor Day tomorrow? That's right. Nice. Uh, I'm Matt, and we're looking at uh, this passage from Romans today. Um, we read that part of uh, uh, part of Genesis as kind of background to uh, today's passage in Romans, important background. But um, we're here to talk about the Bible and uh, not to do movie reviews, but let me tell you about a movie. Um, there's this movie called The Adjustment Bureau. I don't know if you've seen it, 2011. Uh, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt. Um, it's pretty good. You know, it's okay. Three stars. Um, bit of romance, bit of action, something for everyone. Um, the idea behind this movie uh, is that behind all the events in the history of the world, behind everything that goes on, there's this secret organisation controlling everything, right? This, uh, this adjustment bureau. Uh, they come in, they make changes, they secretly are controlling everything we do, all the politics of the world, uh, this adjustment bureau that's behind everything that goes on. And there's this one key scene in the movie uh, where there's an agent from the bureau and what he does is he uh, reveals just how far this, uh, this bureau goes, just how far back uh, this bureau has been making a difference. The Adjustment Bureau, they brought humanity from the time of the cavemen and they controlled them right through to the glory of the Roman Empire. And then uh, what the agent says is that at that point, the Bureau decided to step back. They decided to let humans do things on their own. And what happens? Humanity went downhill into the Dark Ages. And then the agent explains, so the Bureau decided to take control again and once more they uh, managed to get humanity to improve and we had things like the Renaissance and uh, the Enlightenment and we go right through and once again the Bureau said maybe we can uh, give humanity a chance to do things on their own again. They step back and the agent says, immediately humans gave us World War I, the Holocaust 
And finally, at the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Bureau once again decided that they needed to take control. And so ever since that time, the Bureau has been controlling all of world history. It's kind of a compelling uh, idea, isn't it? The idea of that we peer behind the curtain, we can actually find this secret explanation behind all of world history. Uh, we can get a better understanding of the world, a better understanding of humanity, something that makes sense of the grand narrative of history. So it's kind of compelling, but at the same time, actually, I don't think the Adjustment Bureau's version of history really makes all that much sense because, you know, historians don't really think the Dark Ages were all that bad. Uh, and actually, time under the Roman Empire was pretty terrible as well. And actually, all through history, there's been war and conflict. Uh, so if there is a secret bureau controlling everything, they haven't really been doing a very good job. In today's passage in Romans, I think we see how the Bible makes sense of the world and of history. If you've got your Bibles open, notice how uh, our passage goes right back to the beginning of the world in verse 12 with the story of Adam and Eve. And then by the time we get to the end of the passage, verse 21, we're looking forward to eternal life with Jesus. We've got the whole sweep of human history in these uh, few verses. And today we have a chance to peer behind the curtain uh, and see how Christianity makes sense of the world, how Christianity makes sense of human history, how Christianity explains humanity, the grand narrative of the Bible. And today I want to show you that the Bible's view on things actually does stack up. It actually does explain why humanity is the way it is. It actually shows us properly the problem with humanity, all centered around the story of Adam and sin entering the world, the problem with humanity. Uh, but the Christian worldview also makes sense of the longing that we have for something more, the longing that humanity has to be better. And in fact, Christianity actually offers real hope for the future, all centered around Jesus. We've got sin all centered around Adam, hope centered around Jesus. And if you've got your leaflet handy, you'll see that's uh, how I want to approach the passage today from your outline. We will see that the, this passage explains the problem with humanity and it also points us forward to hope with Jesus. Uh, for those of us here this morning who are Christian, I think this is actually a really important thing to think about. Um, how does Christianity make sense of the world? How does Christianity make sense of world history? And does our worldview actually stack up? You know, does it doesn't make sense of what we experience. For those among us who are guests or just uh, investigating Christianity, uh, I think this is a good question as well because uh, if the Bible's view of the world actually does stack up, maybe it's got something to it. Does the Bible make sense of what we experience? So let's start by thinking about Adam and uh, what this passage says is the problem with humanity. We've got to start with verse 12 because this is uh, kind of the key verse around Adam and I'll get Naveen to just chuck it up on the screen for us. This is what uh, verse 12 says. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Uh, there's a lot even in this one verse, there's a lot in this whole passage actually, a very uh, dense passage and uh, the theologians have written books and books about Romans 5, so I'm certainly not going to try and cover maybe every possible question you could ask, but uh, you're welcome to try and text things in and I'll see, I might have a few answers. 
I do need to say as well, like it's, it is a dense passage, so I need us to kind of work hard as we uh, try and dig into exactly what's going on here in this part of Paul's argument. Uh, here he starts off with a word, therefore. He's just been talking about how Jesus died for us while we're still sinners. Do you remember that from last week? Uh, Jesus sacrificed for us even though we were his enemies. And he's kind of talked about that on a personal level and now he's kind of zooming out to think about the whole history of the world and all of uh, humankind. Really talking about the cosmic level now. So therefore, because of what Jesus has done, uh, going from that, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Just as sin entered the world through one man. Paul would have been very familiar with this story of Adam and Eve that we uh, had read out for us. Uh, the story that some of us will know well, the serpent lies to Eve, Eve eats the forbidden fruit, Adam eats the forbidden fruit, the first sin. Interestingly, here in Romans, it's Adam that's held up as responsible for the sin. Even though Eve, Eve was the first to eat the fruit, Adam seems to be responsible. He's the one who heard God's command. He's the head of the family. Uh, that seems to be how Paul sees it. Uh, but, but God had given Adam this, Adam and Eve, this perfect garden. He'd given them everything they could want. He gave them a great relationship with God himself. They had access to the tree of life, so there was no suffering, no death. Uh, Adam and Eve really had it all. You know how sometimes we use the word human uh, to mean different things? Sometimes we wouldn't use the word human to mean uh, something negative, like we're flawed, uh, Annika might say to me one day, oh, Matt, did you remember to put the bins out this week? And I might say, sorry, Annika, I'm only human. I can't do everything. Um, just in that sort of, you know, humanity being flawed, humanity being fallible kind of way, uh, we kind of mean it to mean mortal. Uh, if you looked up the word human in a thesaurus, you do find these things. You find you can potentially substitute the word human for uh, words like flawed, fallible, mortal, well, it was different back in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? If if Eve got out her thesaurus, she wouldn't have found those things uh, in there. Humans weren't flawed. Humans weren't mortal. Humans didn't die. Uh, humans were, were immortal. And then Adam sinned. And because Adam sinned, sin entered the world and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now, I think a lot of this passage is, you know, kind of makes sense. Until those last three words, though, until we get to those last three words, that's, uh, to me, where it gets a little bit confusing because all sinned. We, we can say, right, like, Adam sinned and then death came in because of that and that death passed to all people. But because all sinned is, a, is an interesting way to put it, isn't it? It's odd. You might say, well, we didn't all sin. It was, it was Adam and it was Eve. And of course, we're in a Western kind of individualistic culture and we uh, value personal liberty. So it's uh, a bit weird for us to be thought of as being to blame for someone else's sin. Uh, but I think the, uh, that's the idea. I think the idea is that in some sense, when Adam sinned, we were kind of all there with him. When Adam sinned, he represented all of us. He represented humanity. That's a bit weird for us, but... um. We do think this way in, uh, in some things in life today, like sport is uh, one good example. Uh, last weekend, of course, was the AFL Grand Final. 
Um, they're not here this week, but if you were here last week, you would have uh, noticed that the Wilson family, uh, some of them are big Richmond fans, they came. Uh, Noah had his Richmond scarf on. Jonathan was wearing just a big grin right across his face. Uh, they were really happy because their team had won the grand final. Actually, their daughter Jamie told me after she was in quite a bad mood because she knew she was going to have to spend all week watching the grand final and repeat again and again and again. But Jonathan and Noah are in a great mood. And if you ask them why they're in such a great mood, they might very well say, well, we won the grand final. We won the grand final. Of course, Jonathan and Noah weren't on the field. They weren't playing for the team, but their team won and their team represented them. Wayne was telling me this morning that he was at the game and uh, wearing a Greater Western Sydney hat and uh, went into the bathrooms at three-quarter time and that some of the Richmond fans were not uh, especially polite. It's a bit weird though, isn't it, that they were gloating over Wayne. It's not like they were on the team and Wayne was on the team. They were all just standing there watching, but still they could be happy that their team won and, and Wayne could be disappointed that his team lost. Although, you know, GWS isn't, isn't even his team. He just uh, came along to support them. Good on him. Um, but on that day, they were representing him, right? I think we see a similar idea here with Adam. Of course, we weren't there ourselves. We didn't actually eat the forbidden fruit. We aren't personally responsible. But Adam represented humanity. And so we all sinned. This is one of the points, of course, that theologians love to debate. They ask questions like, um, what does that mean? A, a baby is guilty of sin, an infant? Uh, most of you know that uh, we have a young six-month-old daughter, Lucy. Uh, you might ask, is Lucy guilty of sin? Uh, and there's certainly a sense in which, you know, she's too young to actually uh, know that she's doing anything wrong. So she is, in a, in a sense, totally innocent. innocent. Uh, but in another sense, she's human and, and Adam was her representative too. And in a sense, she's already guilty by being part of the guilty human race. And after Adam's sin, did you notice that towards the end of that passage in Genesis, uh, God brought a, brought a curse onto the world. And because of that, we now have things like pain and death. We have a broken world that we live in. And because we live in this broken world, it means we all choose to sin as well. I think if we look deep down, I think we all know that actually we're a bit like Adam. We know what God wants us to do, but we chose our own way. And so our relationship with God is not what it was in the garden. We are mortal. We have to deal with the consequences of not living God's way. Now just before Naveen takes verse 12 off the screen, there's one more thing we should just note before we move on as well. Did you notice how uh, Paul says, just at, therefore just as, at the start of the verse, making a comparison, and then he doesn't really seem to finish the comparison. He says, uh, just as, and you kind of expect him to go on and say, so also, you know, just as this, so also that. Um, it's a bit confusing because he does come back to this point in verse 18 and he does eventually uh, complete his comparison. In verse 18, you'll notice he says, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also. So finally in verse 18, he makes his comparison complete. But he seems to get then sidetracked. Uh, you can see at the end of the verse, we have that represented by this dash. Uh, verses 13 to 17, he kind of gets a bit sidetracked onto this tangent. He's brought up this idea about Adam I think he probably realizes that he suddenly opened kind of a can of worms. Uh, so he decides he needs to provide this extra detail in uh, these next few verses. 
So you see, if you have a look at verses 13 and 14, we can get rid of that now, Naveen, thank you. Um, in verses 13 and 14, he seems to be responding to this potential objection that I suspect maybe some people uh, in the church he was writing to, particularly probably the Jewish side of the church, uh, might have this proje- potential objection. Uh, they might say, well, what about those who became who came before Moses? Uh, because Moses is when the Jews had the law, the Ten Commandments, things like that. What about those people before Moses, between Adam and Moses? How can they be blamed for sin? They didn't have the law, so how did they know it was right and wrong? And of course, Paul's already made the point um, back in Romans 1 and 2 that those without the law still have consciences, uh, they still have the law written on their hearts, uh, so they can still be guilty. Uh, and his argument seems to be here, well, if they were innocent, if those people before Moses were actually innocent, they wouldn't have died. But nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. So because people before Moses and the law still died, that shows that they were still guilty. And yes, in verse 13, he says sin wasn't charged to their account uh, because they didn't have the law, they didn't have the penalties that came with the law either, they didn't have to do all the sacrifices, uh, they didn't have to do all the Jewish rituals when they sinned. Uh, they were more like Abraham who uh, just had to live by faith. But still, death reigned, sin reigned. He says that in verse 17 as well, death reigned. Movies like the Adjustment Bureau, they have their ways of explaining human history, some secret organisation behind the scenes. Here's the Bible's way of peeking behind the curtain and making sense of humanity. Death has been reigning. Death has been reigning. Ever since Adam, humans have lived in a world where sin and death reigns. And so the world is broken. We live in a broken world, a cursed world. Of course, there's lots of nice things about the world. We're reminded of that on a long weekend. But it's not surprising then that human history is full of war and conflict and injustice. And of course, there are great heroes throughout history as well. As well, But in the end, death, death gets the better of everyone, doesn't it? Death reigns. I think if we really look closely, this does really make sense of the world we experience. We see it on a global scale. There's there's war, there's famine, there's genocide, there's environmental problems, there's poverty, there's slavery. We live in a broken world. And And we see it on a personal level as well. A lot of people struggle to believe in God because they've had so much brokenness in their lives. Illness, broken relationships, death. I think this passage actually shows us that the fact that those things are are out there, they actually shouldn't cause us to disbelieve in God. But actually, they show us that the Christian worldview makes sense. It actually stacks up. It's actually a real explanation for those things that we experience. Okay, we've been pessimistic for a few minutes. Let's switch focus because Paul doesn't talk about Adam and sin just to make us feel miserable, just to teach us about these things. He he brings up Adam because he wants to point us to Jesus and show us how the Christian worldview not only makes sense of the brokenness of the world, but it also points us to a solution in Jesus. 
In fact, it's clear that to Paul, what Jesus did was far more important than what Adam did. Did you notice, if we just look through kind of verses 15 to 17, did you notice uh, how much more important what Jesus did is than uh, what Adam did? Look at verse 15. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. It's almost like Paul's saying that the comparison here isn't even really valid, like he maybe even shouldn't really be making this comparison because Jesus is so much greater than Adam. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more? So in one sense, Jesus is like Adam. Like, you know, in both cases, it's one person uh, who's making a massive difference in the history of the world. Uh, but really, they're nothing alike at all. Uh, Jesus is so much more than Adam. Adam was just one guy, one sinner, nothing special. It could have actually been any one of us. But in Jesus is the gift of God. God's plan to save a people for himself in the man Jesus. Adam is nothing compared to Jesus. And in verse 18, we find the key to what God has done through Jesus Paul finally finishes his comparison here. Uh, He says, Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. We've seen Paul explaining the mechanics of this in the last few chapters In Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, God punished Jesus, the righteous one, for the sins of the world. Uh, The punishment for sin was turned away from people and onto Jesus. The gift of being justified, being made right with God, is available to anyone who has faith in Jesus. Christianity explains the brokenness of humanity. Uh, But not only this, Christianity provides a real solution. If the problem of humanity is that our relationship with God is broken, here's the solution. In Jesus, we can be justified. We can be right with God. Our relationship with God can be restored. You see, if Christianity gets the problem right, it also gets the solution right. There's way more hope here than just the vague hope that humanity will eventually start to improve. Of course, we still live in a broken world today. We still live in a world where death reigns, and even Christians live in that world. We're still in the world that's affected by sin. Uh, We still experience death and grief. Uh, But notice the change that happens in verse 21. Another comparison, just as sin reigned, so just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Christians, we live in a world where death reigns. We live in a world where death reigns. But for us, grace reigns. Do you get that? We live in a world where death reigns, but for the Christian, grace reigns. So we do still die, but we know that for us, our death isn't the end. Death doesn't defeat us. We have eternal life 
with Jesus to look forward to. Yes, the world is broken. Yes, sin is serious. But in Jesus, there's a real solution. The reign of life, the reign of grace. Death really is defeated. Now, I'm conscious as we've been talking about all this that uh, what we've been looking at today, it's not super practical. Uh, there's not a lot of go out and do this uh, in this passage. And, and that's just maybe part of uh, what this part of Romans is like for the next few weeks. We'll find it's much like this uh, thinking. It's a, really a thinking part of the Bible. Uh, but let me suggest a few things, kind of having got our heads around the idea of this passage, just things that we can go and, and do differently or think differently about. Um, one thing I think we can take from this is uh, we just have an amazing connection to Jesus. You remember how we said, we, you know, about the footy, we, uh, we were all kind of there with Adam in a sense. We were all there with Adam. Uh, well, that's true of Jesus as well. Paul brings that up to help us actually understand the connection that we have to Jesus. Jesus then is our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our King, he's our friend. All that's true. But here's another thing. Uh, our connection to Jesus is so profound that it's almost like we're part of him. It's almost like we're there with him. Just like uh, Adam represented the human race and failed, Jesus represents the human race and wins. Jesus is more like the Richmond Tigers from last week because they won. Um, that's probably heretical, but it's, it's true. In Jesus, we won. When Jesus died, it's like we were there with him. When Jesus conquered sin, it's like we were there with him. And when Jesus rose to life, it's like we're there with him. And Jesus has eternal life, and that shows us that we can have eternal life too because he's our representative. Jesus rose to life. He's only the first fruits. Uh, in the same way, we will all rise to eternal life with him. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Christ all will be made alive. Jesus won, and because Jesus won, as our representative, we too can say, we won. What else can we take from this passage? I think we can take great confidence that the Christian worldview stacks up. Uh, I think a lot of people find this hard. They can't see how the Bible can be true. They just can't make sense of uh, how there can be a God when there's so much sin and death and brokenness in the world. Uh, I think this passage actually reminds us that Christianity actually has a satisfying explanation for why the world is the way it is. And it explains why I think so many people have this longing for things to be better because that's what God wants too. He wants things to be better and actually he's provided a means uh, for that to happen. He's provided the solution. I think we can have great confidence in sharing the Christian message with others knowing that it actually does explain the world that we experience. The Christian message actually is compelling. I don't know about you, when I think of friends that I'd maybe like to talk uh, about with Jesus, um, what stops me sometimes is not that I'm embarrassed or not that I don't necessarily know the right words to say, but what stops me sometimes is I just don't think they'll buy it. Like I'm just not confident that they're going to buy the Christian message. But I think this passage is a good uh, rebuke to me and, and anyone else who feels that way because the Christian message actually does make sense of the world we experience. And I think if we understand it right, it actually is very compelling 
Another thing I know as well that the number of people in this congregation have been uh, going through hard things this year or going through hard things at the moment. I, I hope another thing this passage does is it provides some encouragement, even if it's just the reminder that actually, yes, the world is broken. Yes, this actually isn't how things are meant to be. And God actually knows that. He gets that. He feels that too. And he's also provided a solution for those who trust in Jesus. Death death doesn't get to win. Grace wins. And eternal life is the result. One more thing we can say as well is uh, this passage just paints a really uh, good picture of how serious sin is, doesn't it? Uh, The message of the Bible is uh, that the world is broken because humans choose not to live God's way. And just to note, some people don't think that Adam and Eve were real literal people and uh, that's kind of an interesting interesting idea. Paul certainly seems to think they were real and uh, I think they probably were too. But actually, I don't think it kind of really matters for the point here. Um, our sin created such a big problem that death has reigned and that's that's because of sin. We look back through human history and we see war, we see injustice, we see brokenness, we see death, we see famine, we see hardship, we see disaster after disaster. We live in a dying world. We live in a broken world and it's because of sin. And yet when we really do get sin, um, when we see it clearly, I think it paints an amazing picture of Jesus uh, and the solution that he provides. Because God could have left the world to follow after Adam. He could have left the world to be ruled by death. But instead, he's given us this new representative, Jesus, this new family to belong to. Jesus took the punishment for sin onto himself And because of him, we can have real hope of eternal life. I think part of what we need to take away from uh, this passage is that we just need to praise Jesus for what he's done. He's so much greater than Adam. Adam was just like us. Jesus has provided the solution uh, for the world and the broken world. Uh, So we'll praise Jesus in a minute by singing, but first, why don't I uh, pray? Dear God, we thank you for your word and for this uh, this passage today. Well, it's, uh, it's quite technical and it's caused us to do more thinking than anything else. We do thank you for this insight into why the world is the way it is. Uh, we know that we are in lots of ways like Adam, not just because he was our representative, but also because all of us have failed to live your way. Today we've seen something of the amazingness of your gospel and the way that you have saved us in Jesus. Uh, We thank you that in him death is defeated and we can look forward to eternal life. And we praise Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Susan. Um, Thanks for firing in your questions today. I've um, I've got three to uh, quickly address. Um, So thanks for that. That's good. Um, First one, um, I'll hold this one. Uh, for next week, as it does deal with Romans uh, 6, the next chapter as well. But it, it's a great question, um, so I'll, I'll read it out for us. Now that we've been declared righteous and reconciled to God and have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, how are we to think about sin? How are we to deal with the sins uh, in our lives? Uh, great question, just to do with kind of Paul's unfolding argument about sin. Um, maybe what I'll just say from um, this week is I hope it was clear that uh, in some sense, we belong to this world of sin and death that's broken and uh, that's not going to last forever. 
Uh, but in some sense, in a really greater sense, we belong to the world that is to come, the world uh, where life rules and grace rules, uh, the reign of those things. Um, so in terms of how we live now, uh, what Romans seems to be encouraging us to do is to try and live for this world to come, live for that part of it, rather than uh, just indulging in the things of this world that's broken and where sin and things still reign. So um, that'll, that'll come up next week again, and it'll keep coming up through Romans, uh, kind of saying no to sin and yes to yes to grace, yes to life, yes to the ways of God. Um, so that's all we can add, I think, from this uh, this passage. But um, I hope you keep coming because um, we'll keep dealing with that as we go through Romans. Uh, this is a good question as well, um, just about verse 20, so it's just, uh, can you please explain what verse 20 means in the context of the passage, which we didn't really uh, have a close look at, so um, let me read out verse 20, um, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Um, so it's about the law, um, there's certainly this big thread running through Romans about the law, and um, if you remember, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been saying that it was a church, written to a church where there's Jews who are trying to work out what they do with the law, and then Gentiles um, who don't want to follow all the rules of the law, because there are a lot of rules in the law, um, so how to think about the law. Um, so I think this is just another kind of thing that picks up on that idea of what the law is, and uh, what the point of it was, and um, yeah, what, what it is. Um, and I think particularly what it's saying here is, uh, it's going back to that point I made about how before Moses, so before the Ten Commandments, before that part of Exodus and um, before all those kind of Jewish rules, there was this whole period of history with people like Abraham uh, where they lived by faith and it was really an era of grace and there wasn't, you know, all these rules. Um, and so God saved people through his grace then. And then when we get to this era of the law, um, what he's saying is that the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. So actually one thing the law did was it just gave lots more opportunities to do wrong things. So uh, more and more trespasses, uh, more and more sin when the law came in. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So I think what Paul's saying then is that grace was what actually ultimately saved people before the law. And then actually even when the law was there, grace still was ultimately the thing that saved people. And in some ways grace was even greater because they were more aware of their sin. Uh, but grace still saved them regardless, I think is, is what he's saying now. I think people probably take it different ways, but um, that's how I understand it in context. Um, last question is, is another really good one. Um, just to do with uh, Adam's sin, because of one man's single act of, act of sin, at one point in time, God condemned the entire human race. Was God overreacting? Uh, God must view sin very seriously. I think that's a great question. Um, yeah, got a good thing to ponder, I think. Um, things we do know is that, uh, like I was saying, Adam was in some ways the representative of all humanity, so it is in some ways more significant than just kind of one dude. Um, other things we know is that God is just, so we know that if, if he's decreed a punishment, that that is the kind of the fair and just punishment. Um, another thing that's uh, maybe really important is that God is holy and he's pure. And uh, some of you might know that picture from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees this vision of God and Isaiah is down on his knees and just so devastated almost to see God because God is so holy that he feels like he's unworthy to even be in God's presence. And God is so pure and so perfect that even uh, kind of one act of rebellion is enough that we're so unworthy of being in his presence. And so actually in some ways what happened uh, at the fall when Adam sinned was 
uh, it was almost that God had no choice. It was almost an act of mercy that um, if we were still going to be in God's presence, that we just we couldn't couldn't live in God's presence because we're so unholy, we're so far beneath God. Um, so it was almost necessary that God had to send us out of the garden so that we couldn't be in His presence anymore um, because it just wouldn't be possible. Um, so God's so pure. Um, we could also talk about just the relational damage that it does when uh, the created rebels against the creator. Just that severing of that relationship is also serious. So there's a number of ang- angles you can think about actually how serious it was that um, Adam sinned, even though it was just one thing. Um, and I think the thing to finish on is that, importantly, even though God did uh, bring about the fall and uh, we do have a broken world because of what Adam did, uh, even at that time, God knew his plan for restoring the world as well. So um, he wasn't ever going to be a God that was just going to write the world off and uh, condemn it to to devastation and darkness, he was always going to be a saving God and he was always uh, going to save the world through Jesus. So uh, ultimately, he is a merciful God and a God of grace. Yeah, feel free to come and chat to me uh, after the service if you've got any more thoughts.